Hey folks, it's John from A is for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Janet Quinones. I really had a good time talking with her. We discussed alcoholism, drinking in Houston. We talked about recovery, moving to Los Angeles to pursue a career in writing for television, working for NBC, and she is currently the host of The Drunkalogue, which is a comedy show that centers around sobriety, recovery, alcoholism, drinking, all of the above. So um, it was an awesome conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Janet Quinones. So I got sober back in 2009. Um, March 1st is my sobriety date. I, um, I guess I kind of, you know, struggled with sobriety. I, I start, I sort of started drinking later in life. I wasn't like a big drinker when I was younger. Um, my, you know, big addiction or, or, um, thing that I struggled with was food for a number of years. And then around the time I got divorced from my, um, husband at the time, I guess it was like 2004, somewhere in there is when I started drinking really heavily. And, um, that was kind of like my new thing. It was like, I was, you know, not eating the way that I used to, but I was kind of like going to school and, you know, we were drifting apart. We were having a number of, of issues and, um, kind of knew that the divorce was coming, but, um, and then around that time I started just to drink really heavy and it was pretty bad, pretty quick. I didn't drink very, I didn't have like a long drinking career, but I'd say I hit all the milestones that, mm-hmm. that we, you hear so many people talk about, um, you know, loss of, you know, friends near loss of job. You know, I never got a DUI or anything like that, but I was, uh, in a lot of bad places, a lot of times, and I didn't know how I got there. So, um, yeah, so about around 2007, I went to, um, you know, a recovery meeting, heard stories that sounded like what I had was going through. I definitely related and I wanted to get sober then, but I wasn't really ready. I was still like playing with the idea, knew I had a problem, but just wasn't, wasn't ready to, to quit. So I went for another couple of years. Uh, of course, things got worse and um, came in uh, 2009. I think it was around January and like grabbed hold of, of recovery in a really big way. Um, got a sponsor, you know, uh, started working a program of recovery. And then uh, I think it was around, I guess I had quit drinking, but I was taking, I had broken my foot. And actually it was like, just, it was a toe. I'd broken a toe, um, in stumbling around in a blackout <laughs> and, uh, and, and was taking, uh, I don't even remember the pain pill. It was like a Vicodin maybe, uh, something that was not prescribed to me. It was just something somebody had given me. Right. And, uh, so I was, I was doing all of the things like, you know, but not, not really sober, but didn't know that I wasn't didn't know that I wasn't sober. I thought I was because I wasn't drinking. Uh, and so it's important, I think, to mention that part of things because, um, you know, even today, like if I have, I just had dental surgery and if I have a call to, you know, to have a pain medication, I have to be very careful. It has to be monitored. It has to be, because I know that what that, what happens when, when I take medications like that, narcotics. 
Right. Um, so, uh, so getting back to the story. So I, um, I think it was around, I think I was, I almost had like 30 days sober from alcohol and, uh, um, my sponsor was going out of town, gave me the number of a woman and said, you know, call her every day. And I think I remember putting the, the number for that woman in my purse or my pocket with zero intention of calling them. And I remember, uh, kind of like premeditated planning to, um, to go to a work happy hour that weekend. And it was definitely a feeling of like my sponsors away, like I can handle myself, that sort of thing. And, uh, I had enough of recovery in me and, uh, to know that when, you know, I went to that happy hour and I, cause I had sort of struggled with, I knew um, I had struggled with powerlessness. I, my life was definitely unmanageable, but mm-hmm. I, but I, I struggled with what powerlessness meant. And she had explained to me, think of all the times you said you were going to go out and drink like a lady. And then that's not what happened. And I went, Oh, I can think of lots of times that happened. So, you know, went off to this work happy hour. And, uh, I remember telling my coworkers, it was a work thing. Uh, I have somewhere to go. I have a dinner. I had all the plans of how I was going to do this like a professional. And I was like, I've got this place to go for dinner, but I really just want to hang out with you guys for a drink or two. And then two turned into, you know, who knows, eight. I, I don't even remember. And I remember the friends, our coworkers saying, didn't you say you had somewhere to, that you were going, you had to be? And I was like, oh, yeah, I texted them and told them we will do it another time. I'm having so much fun with you guys. And I just kept going. And then someone dropped me off mm. in my car. I like got more alcohol, was driving drunk, obviously. Uh, I don't really remember how I got home. I remember struggling to get out of the car. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, stumbled into the house, drank until I passed out, woke up once more with the bloodshot eyes shaking because I was I always shook in the morning like before I could get going and and uh uh and bloodshot eyes are you know that's just like the the hallmark for me was every single time and I remember looking in the mirror and thinking I cannot believe you're doing this again like is this really what you want to do you know and I remember that week before my sponsor came back from her trip I was like, I'll just, you know, okay, I won't go out. I'll just, you know, like just at night and just this and only one day and every other day. And I was struggling like just to try to see if I could moderate that week. And of course I couldn't. Um, But I remembered (laughs) her saying powerlessness is when you think you're going to do this one thing, have one or two, for example, and then you can't. And I was like, I'm powerless. And she came back from her trip and I, I was like trying every which way not to have to tell her that I had. Right. Tried. I figured she would fire me as a, as a sponsee. I figured she would be like, you're not serious. You don't want this thing. I could be working with other women who, who do want it. You're not, you know, and all of this. And all she did was say, uh, okay, you know, thank you for telling me and let's start back with, you know, the first step of this program. And that's what we did. And I, I think uh, I struggled to put down a sobriety date after that because I was afraid to commit to a date. I thought it would jinx me somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, we, we went to the same meeting together 
um, once a week where we, in this particular meeting, and this was in Texas, by the way, I got sober in Texas, Houston, outside of Houston, Texas. Um, she would watch me write my name in this book. It was a meeting where you had to write your sobriety date. They do it a lot in Texas. They don't do it so much here. And what is but it now? They you, It's like a sign-in for the meeting. And really it's okay. a way to like say, hey, here's my name. Here's my sobriety date. Here's my number. If anybody wants to call me, the book would get passed around. Or you could Got go it. back to the book. It was other than like, you still have like a like a phone list, but it was a way to, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in actuality, it was a way to be accountable, right? So she would watch me write my name and my number in this book and no date <laughs> every week. For about a month, I guess. And then she goes, how come you're not writing your date down? Don't you have a date? Didn't you, you know, you, you, you're not drinking, right? And I'm like, no. And she goes, well, what's your date? And I said, oh, I don't know. I, I, I think it was before, it was after you got back, but it was before this other thing. And she goes, you need to write a date down. And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't, why? And, you know, I'm sober and, you know, and she's like, um, I, I forget how she put it, but she was basically like, you know, pick a damn date and who cares if it's not accurate. It's just pick the the best to the best of your recollection, which is why my sobriety date is March 1st, because I just knew it was like after this date, but before this date. And I knew, you know, I knew enough to know it was March 1st was a solid, you know, truth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was within a week. And so, um, you know, then I started writing that date down and really looking back on it, she was making me be accountable and, uh, which I desperately needed. And, uh, and yeah, so we just, we worked through, um, you know, the steps of recovery and, uh, I, March 1st is still my date, March 1st, 2009. So I, I'm coming up on 11 years, but you know how that goes. You don't really (laughs) like I'm 10 years plus some, plus some months, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, uh, and as far as like, I, I kind of gave you the, the big overview, but the high level overview, but, um, my, my drinking was definitely marked with, uh, you know, I started out with, like I said, I started drinking pretty heavily around the time of my divorce and I was also getting a degree and I was finishing up that degree program and we would go out and drink and things like that after each class was finished. And so I was sort of having like a second childhood, like teenager years. Uh, but I was in my thirties. So I was acting like, uh, you know, a kid, but like out partying till all hours and trying to, you know, maintain a corporate finance job during the day. And, you know, we, uh, traveled quite a bit in the job that I had. So it was easy to sort of disappear for a few weeks and be on the road and, you know, drink in your room or with people at night or, you know, you could sort of, um, in that way, it was almost like a perpetual vacation with the, the minor inconvenience of having to actually do some work. Right. You, there's no, there's no, uh, no set office hours to keep you hindered or right. hinder your right. drinking, you know, right. as an excuse or a, a yeah. meeting or, uh, I have to go get some work done yeah, over here. And easily like, mm-hmm. and so, and also because you were traveling to, and I, I speak i'm i'm mexican but i'm uh not quite fluent um Mm -hmm. so i but fluent enough that they felt comfortable sending me to latin american countries and uh you know because i could get by without you know getting into too much trouble or getting Mm -hmm. others in trouble meanwhile my you know i was 
being, I was a complete mess, but, um, but that, that would soon become evident. Believe me. I think when I, when I started the job, I wasn't as bad off as I was towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and also got sober during the time I was still working there. So I kind of had the whole spectrum of, they got me at my best, my worst. And then once again, at my, at my best, like top of my game. So, uh, and I, and I was, I think I was close to losing that job because, you know, every year you'd have a review and they would call me in and say, um, well, the perception is that you, you're drinking a lot on the road. And I was like, who said that about me? I was so (laughs) full of, you know, just as like attitude, like only a person who is a complete alcoholic could, could have this bravado. And I was like. You know, and then like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to divulge names. And Lori was like, I want to know who said this about me. And I, you know, <laughs> of course it was true, you know, and of course I would, I think they said I was at the airport and I smelled like alcohol or something, which I'm sure was true because I would drink so late into the night that I was still drunk in the morning, you know, not even mm-hmm. sober. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure I, I knew who it was that had said something. It doesn't even matter, right? Um, they probably were doing me a favor by, you know, right. like, the, the jig was up. And uh, I remember they called in like a, a higher level manager who was female. And I don't know if that had something to do with the fact that they were confronting me and wanted to make sure that it was documented or whatever. And I remember she said something like, you know, it's none of our business what you do on your off hours. Cause this was at the airport would be off hours, right? We would not, that's not working hours, but technically you're on the company's you're on a business trip. So you are sort of always on the clock. Um, But she, you know, was trying to like make me feel okay about the fact that it was during off hours, but at the same time validate the concern. But in in any case, all I heard was you're going to lose your job is all I could think. And I was like, I got to find another job. I got to get out of this and get another job that you could, you could drink at. Yeah. That I could, that I could, um, I didn't think that in the moment, but that's what was, that's what was the, that's what the little people in my head were doing. We're, we're saying, you got to protect yourself. You're about to lose this job. And, uh, meanwhile, I had bought a house during this time that was probably like a third of what I could afford. And only looking back on it, I thought I was being very smart because I was buying something that was so inexpensive and I didn't really need anything. I was on the road all the time. But looking back on it, I premeditated buying a house that was so cheap that I could lose my job and work at a gas station or make minimum wage and still be able to afford. That's how, how, so, so that thing of like, you know, lowering your companions and your, your lifestyle to fit the drinking. I think the best way I've heard it put was a gentleman once said, he said, regular people will change their behaviors to meet their goals and alcoholics will change their goals to meet their behaviors. (laughs) Yes. And it struck me like, wow, how many times have I rearrange things. And I think that this whole subconscious or unconscious things that, that we as alcoholics do is we put ourselves in these situations where we're able to let this, you know, the, the addiction kind of take hold and you're like, Oh, well, whether it's being on a business trip or for me, it was, 
I got a job bartending and I thought that I had hit the jackpot, man. Like this was, you know, late yeah, nights free and alcohol. free, free <laughs> alcohol. And I was, I had access to all of it and it was all yeah. research and development. So, I mean, I just mm-hmm. changing, changing your, your goals to meet your behaviors. And, but yeah, I, it's, it's something I hear quite a bit of. That is so true. And it, it is, you know, you, because you have to, because you don't have, and that's part of that powerlessness is that you're, you're not in control anymore. <laughs> so there's no more choice. It's like, this is what you have to do to survive and continue, you know, the path that you're on. Um, so the drinking, I mean, I, I got to a point where I would have, I had blackouts so much towards the end. I was a big party girl and I kind of went to a lot of like house music was my thing. So I would go hang mm-hmm. out with people and go to, you know, either festivals or, you know, Texas is particularly Houston, um, has a huge house music scene and, uh, quite a lot of, you know, of professional DJs. And, you know, I would, I was out there as much as possible. I love that kind of music. Even now I love that kind of music, but, um, you know, it, with it comes a big party culture and sure. And then drugs also come with that and, uh, which help you go longer with drinking and, and extend yes. your, your fun for the night. So, you know, I just was all in and then I would get up in the morning and be <clears throat> quite still drunk and manage to like get into the office. Sometimes I wouldn't even remember how I got there. I frequently couldn't find my car at the end of the workday if I worked in our downtown building, which had like a 10 level garage or something like that, I would never know where I parked. I would honestly have to go floor to floor and just hit my, uh, the unlock button on my car until I could hear it. I, that happened to me so many times. I cannot tell you, even now when I can't find my car for a valid reason, like I just wasn't paying attention to the, (laughs) to where I, where I parked it. Mm-hmm. I will I will have a flashback to that and think about, you know, how I was so drunk when I got to work that I just can't, I did not remember. Um, so I just kept going until I then like the friends started to fall away because it was like I was the, you know, a big party girl and lots of fun until you're like messy and you have to be taken care of and you pass out in the corner and you lose your shoe or whatever was happening that I was like. I was a liability. So it was like, nobody wants to hang out with that person that you have to basically babysit. So I started drinking at home alone and, you know, then it became that. And I, you know, I was so, um, this house that I bought had like window units and, uh, didn't have good heating. We had a, a storm in 2008, which was towards the end of my, when I was getting ready to hit rock bottom. And, the, I guess, um, all of the roofs around had to be replaced and a nail had gotten into my air conditioner and killed the heating element. And so I couldn't heat my house anymore. And this is the sort of thing that like a normal person would call Mm -hmm. a repairman or replace the damn thing. And what I did was just come home with my, you know, at that point I was drinking like those giant bottles of like rosé or something. And that was my drink of choice at the end. <laughs> it was just like cheap, not even box wine. It was just the like gallo or some gross mm-hmm. stuff. And I would, I would bring those bottles home and run. And the house was free. It was a, it's a 19, the house was built in 1910. So it, it was completely drafty hard, you know, 
not very well insulated. And I would just get in the bed under several layers of covers and drink and watch TV. I kind of had, it was like a studio apartment size house. Like it was like an old shotgun shack. Yeah. House. Mm-hmm. So I would just like jump in the bed. I could see the TV from my bed. The TV was in the living room, but I could see it from my bedroom area and just, uh, just drink until I passed out. And like, I would get, I remember going to these stores and I would get my bottle or two of the Gallo stuff. And like those frozen lasagnas, not even like the little mini Stouffer's ones, the like, mm-hmm. that are, they're like three bites of food. And I would like get one of those and, and throw that in the microwave. And that was my dinner almost like every night. I just, I couldn't even basically eat that. It was hardly, I couldn't really stomach much food. So it was like, I would just drink, maybe eat that and then pass out. And sometimes I'd wake back up and drink more, but, um, I tried to cover my bases. And if I did, I'd go to the, I'd draw, I'd hopefully wake up with enough, um, energy and (laughs) wherewithal to drive like the, the quarter mile to the nearest store. And I had a rotation of those stores that I would go to so that they wouldn't know I was an alcoholic. Yes. Right. So we, so we think, yeah, yeah <laughs> but, uh, I know. I, until you go in at 9 a.m. on a Sunday before they actually will sell alcohol in Texas, and, mm. you, and you see the woman who you've, you're so nice with in the afternoons on work days, and you say, uh, you put the bottles on the thing, and she looks at you with this, the most sad face because she's looking at you, and she feels so sorry for you, and she says, I'm sorry, we can't sell you that yet, and I remember... I was so humiliated and embarrassed, but I was not about to leave there without it. And I looked at her in the eye and I was like, but the barely could look at her in the eye, but I did because I meant business. And I said, I remember saying something like, come on. And she just let me do it. She just let me buy it and I left. But I was completely still drunk from the night before. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I wouldn't have just left with those bottles and ran. (laughs) You know? But I was like not leaving there without that alcohol. And I think she knew that. And she just felt so sorry for me. And I was like, well, I got to cross that one off the list. I can't go back there. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, that one's, you got to cut that out. That makes your, it kind of makes your so world sad. slower. Yeah. Uh, smaller. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I had the same thing where I would, I would rotate the different stores and it would be either the 7-Eleven here and then the 7-Eleven here, or if mm-hmm. this liquor store was open and, you know, always trying to mix it up and thinking that I was being clever or smart about it. And, but I was there all the time. So, you know, they knew, I mean, they knew, they knew with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would go yeah. in there and he's like, I remember one nice man was at the store that was right by my, uh, an old apartment before I moved to that house. And he was like, he was so nice to me every time. He was so nice. And I knew he felt sorry for me. And he would say something like, um, like, how come you don't get, like, maybe sometime get this? Or he would, like, you know, try to encourage me to, like, buy some other non-alcoholic drink mm-hmm. as if there was a chance I was doing that. Right. And, you know, I just would smile and, and say, oh, you know, I prefer this or something like that. And I just, I mean, I think about all those people. I remember going back after I got sober, uh, just by chance, we, we ended up by a meeting that was by that thing. And I went in there and saw him. And he was like, um, he'd like hardly recognize me. He was like, he goes, oh my God, because <laughs> you look so good. Just keep doing whatever you're doing. You look great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, um, but you know, I think about all those people though, that, that they're, you don't, I mean, I might not even remember that guy's name, but 
we, we had a very personal relationship because he saw the worst of me every single, well, every other day or every third day. Mm-hmm. And he also like cared about me and wanted better things for me before I even cared about myself enough to want better. And so yeah. you think about those people and like some of them are quite simply angels. I had so many people that were like that, that like tried to help or, or, um, you know, said a kind thing or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and certainly people that, you know, uh, they say there's that saying about God take, takes care of drunks and fools. And I think that's absolutely true. Even today, like I'll be out and about like at a show or something and I'll see some girl stumbling around drunk and she can't find her car. She needs to put, but can't figure out how to put money in a meter or something like that. And I'll help. And I always think like, that's, those are the people that, you know, I had people who helped me change tires when I was in a complete blackout or, you know, got me home safe or, you know, uh, for God's sake, I mean, didn't sexually assault me when they could have, or, you know, things like that. And you just think, you know, those were the people that were like taking care of the drunks and the fools. You know? There, but for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was this, I saw this video and it was, um, these two guys were out in the woods and they came across this elk that was stuck in this mud puddle, like this huge mud puddle and couldn't get itself out. And so they were trying to get this elk out of this giant mud puddle. And the entire time this elk is fighting them and trying to jab them with its antlers because it doesn't understand and it doesn't know how. And it just, it thinks that it's being attacked somehow. And you know, me, I'm watching this thing and it, they finally got it out of the mud and it ran away and, you know, everybody was happy at the end. Um, but that's kind of how I felt, you know, when I was drinking and now I look back and there were people who were trying to help me and I was fighting them yeah. every single step of the way, like people who were just trying to say, hey, and, um, you know, and so I, I have learned that the best way that I can help people is, you know, be available, be a good example and kind of, and be patient, you know? Um, I have good friends of mine who still drink heavily and I see them, you know, less and less these days, but, uh, it's, there's nothing I can do or say. They know, they know what I do. They know what I go through. They know, you know, what I had to do. And, um, I really, I don't say anything and I try to just meet with them before, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they, whether they admit it or not, I'm sure they listen to your podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, so, yeah, I don't you know, know. but And that might be the thing. I mean, it's a service, you know, because one of these days and they know where to go when they, when they want, when they're ready. If, if that, if they in fact are alcoholic and mm-hmm. they'll come to you and be, and they'll know that they have a, a safe place to, to go and a person that, that's going to understand yeah. them in a way yeah. that no one else can. Yeah. I mean, so. and, and it's a very personal thing, whether you're an alcoholic or not. I, I, I mean, I, I have a pretty good assumption about these people I've known for, you know, decades oh, yeah. who I've drank <laughs> with and I'm like, we know, <laughs> but it's none of my business to tell you yours. You know what I mean? Right. And you wouldn't listen anyway. Right. So Until you're uh-oh. ready. You, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to have that, you know, that moment of surrender, that little window of like, I, I, there's a, I don't want to live like this anymore. And Uh I want to investigate if there's a a different way I can live. And can I even, is it possible, you know, for me? That's a great word. Investigate. Mm -hmm. 
um, because yeah. I was very suspicious in the beginning about it. And I was like, what is this? Huh? Are you sure? I mean, I guess I'll try it because I need to try something, but mm-hmm. I don't think this is for me. That was my, that was my whole thing for like months. I don't think this is for me, but sure. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, I think what happened for me at least was things started to get better really fast mm-hmm. and in a way that like, I think I needed to have happen. Now, it doesn't always happen for everybody that way. I'm glad it did for me. Because if it hadn't, and I hadn't had somebody point out, like, when things were happening, you know, for the better in my life, I don't know that I would have stuck around. I mean, I don't think anybody would if, if, if you're not feeling like something's changing. And right. I did feel like um, whether it was I could go into work and hold my head up and look people in the eye for the first time in years, or if it was that I could, uh, you know, um, go someplace and, uh, that I had a reason to be like, maybe like the work holiday party or something and be able to not feel like I was coming out of my skin, you know, uh, wanting to drink, like if, if the obsession wasn't lifted for me, um, sooner rather than later and that things were just getting better. I was, you know, getting, having more esteem, doing, uh, better at work, um, you know, I, I was starting to develop a new friend group and kind of let go of, of some of, and, and also like some of those old friends, I didn't think I could let go of, let me go, which was a gift that I, yeah. you know, didn't quite understand at the time. I was like, we're, we're, you know, I don't know why they don't come around anymore. Things are great. Like I would love that, you know, maybe they were struggling with their own issues mm-hmm. or knew, but, or knew that if they were around, it was going to be hard for me. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, you know, like I said, I got sober in Texas and then, um, kind of transitioning a little bit to, to how things are today and how I even came to Los Angeles. I mean, uh, when I was, you know, many a night in a bar in Houston, like Warren's, which is like a a real, like a haunt of mine in Mm -hmm. the, in the theater district, um, I would, um, I would uh, uh, write like scribble ideas for shows on notes, like on napkins. I would like write ideas for stories or, or things that you know I wanted to to write about. And I had the urge to to write for television. And I I've had that since I was a kid. I just didn't know what it was. I would make up stories for um, shows that I would watch with my parents in my room at night, particularly The Jeffersons. That was one I remember distinctly making up stories for. But I didn't, as a five-year-old, like, you don't know that that's a job. You just think that's (laughs) something you're doing that you enjoy doing and move on with your life. And then you have a, a, you know, a whole career in corporate finance. (laughs) Um, And then, and it wasn't all corporate finance, but that was, it was all with one company. Mm -hmm. Uh, But around the time, um, I guess it was 2015, been sober for some time. I actually investigated moving to Los Angeles and pursuing a career in entertainment, but earlier as almost like the first year I got sober. Cause I felt like I had more, I knew more people in LA than I did in, in Texas. And I had more friends here. Um, and you know, I was encouraged to, to stay in Texas and, you know, not make any major changes too quickly. And I'm glad of course that that's how it worked out. But, um, I got laid off from that company in the fall of 2015 I was dating a guy and, uh, we were engaged to be married. And I, um, I was like, I was already like taking writing classes or, or something when this kind of epiphany came that like, I want to try to go to Los Angeles and write for television. 
that's what I want to do. And I knew it so clearly that I knew I couldn't not try, but it was also like not the best timing, right? I was Mm -hmm. out of a job or going to be out of a job. Um, I would get a severance, but I, you know, that would only last for so long. And LA is very expensive, right? Um, But I'm also like in, in sobriety, you can do these things because you, you have the esteem and the confidence to do it. I don't know that like all of those, like I still have like a folder of all of those, not all of them, but like a lot of those like scribbled notes on napkins. And I, I still keep them because they're, they're like, I, I just could never do anything with that because I couldn't even get it together to pay a bill on time, you know? Yeah. So like, how could I do, and I, you know, doctor's appointments I mean I never could get that stuff I didn't even go to the closing on that house I told you that I bought Mm -hmm. I actually I remember I was already in the house I had pre like you know how you can rent a house before you like you can pay like a month of rent but you're going to buy the house I don't know if you anyway it's like a like a pre-buy it or Mm pre-rent I was in the house and I had the closing I didn't even I couldn't they were I had like 20 missed calls and I remember being very cavalier about it like Oh, you know, they can sign their side. I don't have to be there. And then I'll go and sign it the next day. But the realtor was furious with me because they were waiting for me to show. Anyway, that's a side note. But right. Um, so here we are. I'm, you know, 2015. It's like, uh, you know, I told my uh, fiance at the time like that this is what I wanted to do. He was in a place where he could, he works as a software developer. So he could, um, uh, you know, work anywhere basically. So he's like, okay, well, um, surprisingly he was on board with trying it. You know, he said, let me find a job first because we both can't go there and be unemployed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, his only, uh, requ- request was I'd really like to work someplace where I can walk to work or I can have a very short commute, which laugh completely laughable now to think that I agreed that that was going to happen. <laughs> But it did like we, he found a job and we, I I was like, all right. And I flew out by myself and, and looked at, looked at rentals in like two or three days. I lined up 10, which by the way, by the time my plane landed, like half of those were gone. Mm -hmm. And I found Mm -hmm. a place, which was a disaster, but I found a place like the last day before my flight was going back and signed a lease and hindsight but for anyone who's listening to this, that's thinking about moving to Los Angeles, you don't have to sign a lease. You can just come out here and like, you know, rent something for a month, rent, do an Airbnb. I mean, you know, like don't, right. don't sign a lease until you like really know the area and the people who you're going to be renting from. Good to uh, know. So, yeah. So I came out here and, um, we, you know, did all that. Um, we sold our house, which we loved by the way, and was like the, like, honest to God was like our, it was like a beautiful mid-century modern house. Like a, it was our dream home. And we let that go. I remember telling Ryan was like, my husband was like, you know, we're never going to find another place like this. This is our perfect home. And I was like, I know, but if we don't let go of it, we'll never know what other things can come. Right. That's true. And uh, yeah. And honestly, like since I've been here, I have yet to be paid to write. (laughs) I've been Mm -hmm. here. We've now been here almost I guess three and a half years, but I have loved living here and I still do. He does. He, and I'm glad he loves being here as well. 
uh, we're big into restaurants and, um, and uh, this, and of course, Los Angeles has a, has a wonderful uh, culinary scene of sure. all ranges. And uh, so we, we enjoy that. Um, you know, most places like Houston or Chicago or anywhere like that, big cities, um, concerts and music and, you know, culture and all that, you get plenty of things that tour and, and come to those towns. But in LA, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, I, I, you know, there's some nights where it's like, oh man, that's happening. And that's happening on the same night. And like, you have mm-hmm. to pick. So like the, the choices of things to do here are limitless. And we do, I, I remember living in Houston, we'd come home, I'd say more like four nights a week, maybe one night a week, we'd go out and do something maybe. And here we're gone all the time. We're always somewhere, either comedy shows, um, uh, music, uh, concerts um or with the movies or dinners and with friends and like there's just life is so much bigger and so with all yeah i mean of course in in sobriety it becomes this huge thing with and really when you start to realize the limitless opportunities and you talk about things and going to comedy shows and concerts and stuff like that and you know how do you how do you navigate those 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 places in sobriety i mean because Drinking is everywhere, and certainly. You know, it's so funny. It's so funny that you ask that because I honestly no, don't think about it. I don't have. Okay. I don't. I don't sit at the bar usually. If I'm right. at a play, there's usually if I'm and I do a lot of open mics, and some of those are in bars and clubs and things like that. Um, I don't know. I don't. It doesn't. Uh, I think for me, like the, I don't have the obsession anymore. Mm-hmm. So the, that is completely gone and in the first like year or two of sobriety, it was tough because you'd go to dinner. You didn't know how to, I didn't know what to do, but I know what to do. I mean, it's mm-hmm. as simple as saying no, thanks. If yeah. it's offered, I go to concerts a lot. My, my husband's a big fish fan, the band, the, mm-hmm. and we go to grateful dead shows and stuff. I'm not as big of a fish fan, but I do like the grateful dead. And we go to all these shows and there's like weed smoke everywhere. And, yeah. of, and I've been offered it many times. And it's just as simple as saying, no, thanks. That's it. Just like, no, thanks. I've even been, there's been, I remember being at one show and a guy was like, I don't know if he was just like, I uh, didn't want to take no for an answer or he was just, he would like, was just, anyway, he kept offering it or he was maybe a little out of it and didn't realize he was not like he had forgotten. Maybe he had already asked us three times. And so you like, you know, offer it again. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's okay. And just, that's it. And, you know, and honestly, I find that most people uh, really aren't concerned with what you're doing as long as you're not keeping them from having a good time. And, you know, and I know how to take care of myself, all the things you do. Like I always have a, a way out. Like if it's, I'm never going to be trapped if, in a bad situation. Right. You know, I have my own car or, or you know, lift or, I mean, I don't have to ever be stuck anywhere. Um, and you know, there's, there's like the, there's a saying about we, we, uh, if we have a reason to be someplace, right. And in my case, it's like part of what I do now for a living. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really ever feel too tempted. I I don't have, it's not really an issue. Um, I hope that continues. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Me too. Um, so, and so, Talk about that. Talk about the Drunkalog uh, show. Oh, yeah. I, I heard from, I had uh, 
Janetta on the, Yay, on the show, Janetta. and she was great, and she was the one who suggested I talk to you. Yeah, um, Janetta's great. I like her a lot. So what is the Drunkalog? Um, so, that, okay, so first of all, thank you for asking me about that and uh, reminding me to mention it. Um, I, I'd say I was here about a year, and I started um, working as a, a producer, associate producer, on a show called Uncabaret, which is uh, Beth Lapidus does a, a kind of they, an alt comedy show. She's done it for tw over 25 years now in New York and LA. And um, I met her and I was in a position when I first got here that I didn't have to work full time for like a hot minute. So mm -hmm. I was, I was able to offer my, you know, to do things like intern or do things with no pay. And I was working doing the door and then eventually she let me book some comedians and get a, a taste for how to, uh, to run a show. And uh, a friend of ours um, that we met at hot tub, which is a show that's on Mondays um, with uh, Kurt Braunholer and Kristen Shaw. It's been going on for a mm -hmm. long time. Also, we met a friend in line waiting for that sh show to start who said, Hey, you know, you should come to um, the clubhouse I have a friend who runs a show there uh, named Josh Furlinger. He does a show called The Internet Read Aloud. Um, and we went to his show. And I'd never been to the clubhouse or, you know, had any dealings there. But I was like, oh, this place is really cool. It's like a volunteer-run theater. Um, I wonder who books the space. And in my mind, I was thinking, maybe I could book it for, like, a table read or a writer's group. And Josh said, oh, if you have an idea for a show, I can give you the name of the guy. And I was like, I do have an idea for a show. So his kind of just mentioning the idea of doing a show, I hadn't even thought about it until he said something. Uh, I thought I would love to do a show that combines comedy and sobriety in some way, meaningful way. And um, so that was that. I, I booked a show and I had a lot of good people around me, people I worked with at Uncabaret. Uh, there's a guy there named Kyle that um, has gone on to do uh, Don't Tell Comedy. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm -mm. Um, they're, I think they're celebrating their thousandth show, like, which is unbelievable, uh, who like really, uh, championed me and like said, just book it, you know, just don't think about it. Just book the space and book your comedians and it'll come together. Don't worry about it. And I was like, like kind of hemming and hawing a little bit about it. And, uh, but had good people around me to support me and, and, um, got the room booked. Um, and that was then that's two years ago this month no november because we're celebrating our two-year anniversary of the show next on november 13th um and awesome. we're now at the clubhouse we have a regular spot we're there every second wednesday um at eight o'clock and Los Feliz. and we have a good time we always have a great lineup i book the show i want to see so it's always a good show awesome and uh, we started out just having sober comedians, but then we quickly realized that, like, everybody has a drunkalogue of sorts to tell. We've had people do rock bottom stuff about relationships. We've had, uh, you know, strictly stories, mostly stand up. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, people have done material about their parents who are alcoholics or, you know, I've even had one comedian kind of say, like, they were kind of saying, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm not sober, but here's this story. And then in the midst of telling the story, say, oh, I don't know, maybe I do have a problem, mm -hmm. you know. So it's, it's just become this, like, beautiful space that, you know, where people come together. We have regulars that come every month that are 
you know, we have a really supportive audience and, uh, we love it. I, it's the highlight of the month for me. And, um, something that, that I, I really enjoy doing. My husband does the, um, uh, the tech and lights and stuff and sound. Um, and, um, he actually goes to more comedy shows now than I do. And because while I'm going to open mics, he gets to go to comedy shows, but then he also will tell me about people that he's seen that he thinks would be good for the show. And then of course I either go see them or look them up or, you know, see if that's somebody that I think would be a good fit. And, um, you know, that goes from there. Uh, I'm trying to get him a little bit more involved in producing the, you know, actually booking people and stuff, but mm -hmm. he's sort of doing it already, but, uh, yeah. And then, um, and it kind of ties into the writing. I still write scripts. I worked at NBC for a year. I just wrapped up that assignment, but, um, I've been blessed to be able to, uh, pitch ideas to, to them. I've written a couple of scripts. Um, I've got, you know, a third in the works and I'm writing a feature. So all of that stuff is still going on. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I finished the assignment, but I'm still trying to, you know, um, to get back in at NBC, maybe in a development capacity. But, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, loving life and I'm, I'm so glad that I get to do something I love for a living. And all of that would never have been possible without getting sober. Never. Right. Because I would have just, I, honestly, if I were still drinking, I would have just like done the next, whatever the job was, I, anything that I could do that was related to something I had a skill, like, you know, auditing, finance, compliance, something like that. I just would have taken the next job that I could kind of lay low and, you know, keep going with the, right. the drinking and until mm. I couldn't and got a DUI or, you know, ended up, you know, it was something like that happening. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm so glad that, you know, that those, th you know, they say that like, are you, you're a grateful alcoholic and people always roll their eyes at that. And it's like, <laughs> honestly, yes, because like I have, I've been to hell and back and I, and when you, when you have hit bottom like that and you come back from it, you live a life that is like embracing every opportunity and you really um, are just grateful that you, it's almost like you get a second chance at, at life, you know? Yeah. So for you me, hit that bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you do, you're, you're just like, that's what, you know, I, um, I had a friend who, who asked me about like, do you ever worry that you're like, you're coming here and you're in your, you know, forties and like, tough you know it was like like how you know coming to it later in life and I was like are you kidding me I know I'm supposed to be here like mm -hmm. so there's no there's no like I don't have the the luxury of of uh of doubt self-doubt and and thinking that like I should I be doing something else well you know I'm in my 20s so maybe you know in five or ten years if this doesn't work out like this is what I'm supposed to do. And like, and when you know that that's your place and that this is it, there's no, like, uh, there, I don't, I don't have any of that weighing me down. <laughs> yeah. So, that's great. Yeah. That's but great. Anyway, and so the show, yeah, I love doing the show and thank you for asking me, but that, I, I hope that if anyone's listening and they'll come out and, and check us out and see what mm -hmm. it's all about. I think it's an exciting idea. And I, I love that it's not, um, 
obviously not exclusionary to just sober people um, because everybody's got an experience either, you know, directly or indirectly or peripherally to alcoholism. I found, you know, that to be true in my life. And, you know, my girlfriend, who's a performer, she's a she's a singer uh, predominantly. But, you know, one of her biggest um, complaints and she she loves what she does, you know, but Mm -hmm. one of the complaints is that you're constantly around people who are drunk, who are high, who are not there for the music, who, you know, and so it, it becomes difficult to go and be a part of something bigger and, and, you know, that you, that you, you love so much and, and not be able to be there fully with other people. And so I always love it when I hear, you know, when she finds musicians that she can work with who are there for the music and I've never seen anyone more overjoyed to do it. So um, to find those, those pockets of of sobriety and of clarity and of people doing things they love for the sake of of doing them you know like not not because it's a place to get drunk or you know we you know because i mean there's plenty of those places there's no shortage they just they they just keep they keep popping up all the time so to to hear about this it was just really exciting to me to go like man what a what a great thing a sober comedy show you know, you know and, yeah and and that's and the clubhouse is a volunteer run theater that doesn't have a bar mm. so you know people can bring i guess can bring in alcohol from outside like it's they could be sure. like be i suppose but like no one's being <clears throat> like disruptive or crazy like at this show and because mm-hmm. you know i get a lot of people who are in recovery programs and uh and then people who just are like there to because they love comedy they yeah. just want to enjoy the show for 90 minutes or however long the show is that that week or that you know that month um something else you made me think about that maybe uh she might want to check out or you might want to check out is um i've heard of this thing called sans bar have you heard of that group i've heard yes it's like a pop-up thing and maybe you know more yeah, than i and, do and I, I don't but i mean i i <laughs> they're they're in i've seen them mostly in texas with events. And I, I did, I did reach out to them because I said, I wonder if you guys would ever be interested in doing something with a comedy show. And I, cause I would love to go to Texas and put up a drunk log like at one of their events, but I know they do other like, like singing or, or music, music stuff, um, mm-hmm. like concerts and things. Um, but that's really cool because the whole event is tailored around not drinking. And so they do have drinks there, but they might do like Topo Chico or specialty cocktails. Right. But that might be something to, for her to look huh. into because if she's interested in being part of something that's like where it is, you know, a sober event, you know, yeah. they're doing those all over. So okay. um, she might be, you know, want to get involved out. with them. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe you can have them on your, your show. That, there's I hate, in that it group. sounds it sounds cool to me. I just, um, you know, and I, I've never heard a comedian say, gee, I wish we could get more for these people to drink in the, in the show. You know what I mean? It's always, I always hear this, like, it's always some drunk person who ruins the show or disrupts yes. the show. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. So I, know. I think it's just our, it's the culture of like, Hey, mm-hmm. you're going to go out and have a few drinks and see some comedy and not think about your problems for a little bit, but you can also go and not think about your problems and, and enjoy comedy without the alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, same, same thing with people who do music or comedy or, or performance of any kind. There's the the person who feels like they have to have a couple of drinks before they get on stage. And I have the, the blessing, I guess, maybe <laughs> of never having 
I did, I got into all this after I got sober. So I never had it any other way to doubt that I could do it sober. You know, there's, yeah. there was never that. Um, so, you know, there, but that's the same with the audience as it is with the, the people performing, you know, there's the, the, the person that struggles with whether I can do it sober. So. Um, and, and so it's the Drunkalog. It's the second Wednesday. It's in Los Feliz. Yes. At the club. What did you say? The clubhouse? The clubhouse. And your, um, your listeners can, uh, can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Drunkalog Show. And okay. we're website drunkalogshow.com or janetquinones.com. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I just wanted to ask you one last thing too. Now you're coming up on, it'll be 11 years and yeah, March or 1st. something like that, mm-hmm. March 1st. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you still struggle with these days oh, in yeah. sobriety? I would say um, for me, probably uh, the character defect of anger, which is funny because mm-hmm. I never thought I was an angry person when I was uh, drinking for sure. And, um, I, it, I feel like it comes up more now that I'm, and even at 10 years that I struggle, I, I think I've had a few, some health stuff this year and some, uh, the death of some people that I love that have happened in this year. And I've no, I've noticed that, uh, anger has come up, which is, you know, angry at somebody who has left too soon in my opinion, or, or angry that um, my health is not holding out like I'd hoped. And I'm not even, you know, I'm still in my forties. So dealing with health challenges, but I will say that like finding like outside therapy that is, has been hugely beneficial to talk out stuff and to learn tools for dealing with, um, with anger, um, whether it's meditation or yoga or just getting out into some fresh air Right. And going for a walk or something like that. But um, I would say anger. And and also the food stuff for me still rears its ugly head from time to time. Um, I go through spells where I just will indulge in overeating as a, as a coping mechanism, or as, mm-hmm. which is an old behavior for me. But if I'm doing that nowadays, I know I'm doing it. And it, I can't do it long before I'm like, oh, okay, we can't. We're not doing that anymore. That's not right. like a healthy behavior. Right. Um, also, staying close to you know to recovery, the recovery program I'm in, and and helping other women is huge. Just being of service kind of gets me out of that. But but something that I'd say the food stuff and anger are the two things I still kind of battle with. But right. but have better tools to kind of deal with it. You know? I was gonna say that's exactly that's exactly it. You get these tools and you go when you're able to. I know for me, I go, oh, that behavior is not good. So let's look at that. Why are we doing yeah. that? And I kind of do that quick little um, inventory and try to figure yeah. out what the source is and then say, okay, good. So if that comes up again, we know that's not that exactly. You know, when I have yeah. my, I've had my issues with ice cream in the past. I've talked about it many times <laughs> on the podcast, you know, and so. I just, I, I just, uh, had, dental, I, I just had dental surgery uh, mm-hmm. last week. And I couldn't eat anything um, a hard or chewy or any really anything except stuff that was soft. And for mm-hmm. the first two days, I ate, I think I ate ice cream like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you know what though? I but this is the thing where like today it's totally okay that I did right. that. And in the in the past it would have been the beginning of like a really slippery slope. Uh-huh. But I'm like, 
it's, I was just like, you know what? F it. I'm having ice cream for dinner. <laughs> like, yes. My mouth is like, I was missing a tooth one day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I had like, I'm getting an implant done and it's incredibly painful. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like, you know what, this is, this is like, it's, it's totally okay. It actually harkens back to childhood. I know my mom was like a big, like ice cream made everything better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it still does. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. so I, I, I think that's great. Um, I thank you so much for taking the time and being flexible, uh, oh, to be able such to a pleasure. Thank you for asking um, me. It was, I really enjoyed talking with you. You too. And, um, yeah, good luck with the show and everything else and, and, and scripts and writing, and I am sure that things will 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 happen. I'm sure it will. <laughs> just patience and, you know, just keep putting one foot in front mm-hmm. of the other. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>